Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, I sit down with Crystal Ramirez from the Aces, uh, from our home in the US of A. Uh, and I don't know why I just said US of A like that. I've no idea. I've never done that on 400 episodes. I need to not start doing stuff like that. Um, apologies. Uh, Crystal's wonderful, um, as are the Aces. And we have a really lovely chat. Crystal's got splendid taste in music, as you're about to find out. Before you find out, I need to say some thank yous. Um, you know the drill. Thanks to Scribius Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. This podcast is very proud to be part of that. Big love to 76 for producing the podcast. He does his magic with the Zoom audio. And uh, if they're done remotely like this one, obviously, because Crystal's based in the States, uh, he gets the, the Zoom audio and, and puts it together sprinkles the magic on it to give you a nice warm podcast listening experience he can't do anything about my lisp or my accent sorry about that but we're working on it um and the biggest thanks always go to you lot so huge love uh, and thanks to you listeners that have supported this podcast now for for a fair few years um like i said we're over 400 episodes so should this happen to be your first episode um then when you finish listening to this delightful chat with crystal Go check out the back catalogue because you can hear me talking. If you like your indie bands, then you can hear me talking to The Killers. You can hear me talking to Suede, Idols, Sleaford Mods. Gosh, there's a lot of indie bands on this podcast back catalogue. Trust me, there's hundreds. Um, if you like your rock and rollers, you can hear me. T- Why did I do that in that style? What's wrong with me today? Um, but you can hear me talking to Tommy Lee and Motley Crue. You can hear me talking to the Foo Fighters. Um, you can hear me talking to wonderful producers such as Butch Vig. Butch Vig, you know that guy? That guy, not just in garbage, that guy, the producer that produced Nevermind for Nirvana. Sammy's Dream for Smashing Pumpkins. Dirty for Sonic Youth. Like, absolute legend. It's a lovely chat, that one with Butch. Go check that out. Um, also, uh, Fatboy Slim. He's a wonderful producer and DJ. That's a really good episode. Loads of um, amazing actors. Loads of, like, cool comedians. Go, just, I'm not going to keep listing them. Just go and have a look in the archives when you get to the end of this episode because there's hundreds. And I promise you some of your favourite bands will be in there. Also, you can support this podcast. There's loads of ways you can support it. You can just nudge your friend and say there's this podcast that this guy's on that chats to wonderful people about their creative journey and the records that have been important on it. 
that's really good. You can like, love, share, and retweet and all of that stuff on the social media because we're on all of the platforms. So go find us on there and give us a follow. That all helps. And if you're feeling really generous and you want even more content, then we have a Patreon. I don't know why I say we. I have a Patreon. Um, and that Patreon, each week, uh, I put up two uh, video episodes so you can watch all of these ad-free. Um, unfortunately, you get to have to put up with my ugly mug, but you do get to see the guests, um, which is always a bonus. Uh, there's loads of radio shows over there. Um, there's, I mean, when I say radio shows, that's me sitting in my shed, playing records, having a chat and stuff like that. So I'll put them up there. There's hundreds of those. Lots of Spotify playlists and little mixtapes and stuff. And it's it's a dollar a month. So what's that work out? 20 pence a week. So it's not a lot. I know times are tough, um, but if you can spare, if you can spare a dollar a month, uh, and you can cancel it at any time, even if you sign up for a month, go on there, absolutely rinse the back catalogue, and then leave. I don't mind. You know, it all helps. Um, but yeah, that dollar a month essentially goes to pay for the production, and and it keeps the the two free episodes coming every week. Okay, I think we can get on with it. Oh, quickly. Your one-stop shop for all of them things I've just been talking about is the website, Off The Beat And. Remember, it's Beat And, not Beaten. Off The Beat And Track Podcast.com. Anyway, enough of that. I know where you're at. Please enjoy Off The Beat And Track Podcast with the wonderful Crystal Ramirez of the Aces. Sorry, ladies and gents, I've just got to jump in quickly and tell you that this podcast is proud to be in partnership with Hotel Chocolat. That's right. Hotel Chocolat, those people that make all the delicious chocolatey stuff, right? They have been my partner now for close to two years, and I can't thank them enough. Um, And the one way that I can kind of help them is by telling all you lot about what they're up to. You know all about the chocolate stuff because you you go and get your chocolates from there. But some of you like a little tipple of booze, right? So if you do... You need to check out their velvetized cream range. So what they've done is they've got loads of all your favourite spirits, and then they've added their lovely chocolatey, magicy stuff to it. So you can get like uh, my favourite's the mint chocolate one. Go check out their mint chocolate velvetized cream because it is delicious. The salted caramel one will blow your socks off as well. There's loads. You need to go and check out uh, the alcohol range that um, Hotel Chocolat do. And I'm proud to tell you that this podcast is in partnership with Hotel Chocolat. Go check them out. But right now, get back to the podcast. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Okay, we're recording. Crystal, how are you doing today? I'm doing really good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good, mate. Well, look, um, I've I've had your song lists. Uh, it's wonderful. I'm looking forward to talking about them today. But before we start talking about the records that you've chosen, I always like to ask guests to sort of cast their mind back a few months and to talk me through the 18, 19 months of pandemic and how how you found it both personally and creatively, please. Oh, what a question. Yeah, um, it was really, really difficult, a really difficult time, I think, for me personally. Um, 
my mental health was really struggling. I was struggling a lot with my anxiety, with panicking a lot, like having a lot of panic attacks, which was, I'd always had like anxiety attacks growing up, but when the pandemic hit, I started having like full on panic attacks, which you're like, there's a difference between those for those people that may not know panic attacks are just like a lot more intense. Like they're actually bodily um, and they feel like uncontrollable. So that was really scary for me. Like I was dealing with a lot of panic attacks and um, creatively there was just, you know, we had this record that we were just about to put out and then the pandemic hit. And then it was like, okay, so all of these plans and these things. And, you know, obviously at that point we had never been through anything like it. So we were like, well, is it going to be over in a month? And then we're going to be able to tour or we, you know, all of those thoughts go through your head. And so I think there was like a grieving process. Like, well, there was first a, a process of like, we just kept trying to work it right. Like, no, we're going to, we're going to get through this. We're going to work this record. We're going to whatever. Right. And then there was like this grieving process of like, oh, this is actually changing the world. Like as we know it. That's the so weird bit, wasn't it? I think that's the yeah. weird bit when it went from, like us just presuming as, as as a human race, like, well, we'll have it sorted in two weeks because that's we're, we're the human race. We don't nothing stops us from doing. What, and then I think that everything would be all right in a few weeks. I think when it got to that point, maybe like sort of four five weeks in, where a lot of people were getting really sick, it was like, oh shit, this yeah. this ain't going away. How long is this going to go on for? And that's when the not knowing I felt. The not knowing and the kind of that is we ever going to get back to the kind of normality that we're we're used to. That's that not knowing was what kind of really thrust a lot of anxiety upon me of just thinking, oh shit, is everything done? It's like my job done, and like what's what's going to happen? Yeah, and that like you know I I felt like a very in the beginning like a resistance to change, like an intense yeah. resistance to change. Like I was like, no, it's all good. we're going to go back. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And then once that started, obviously not being the case, I think there was like a grieving period where I felt like incredibly uninspired. And I was just like, wow, I don't know. I'm just trying to make it through the day at this point. And then that turned into um, kind of reigniting my creativity and my love for music in a way that I didn't expect because I think I just got to the point where I was like, you know, if the world were ending tomorrow, what would I do with my time? And what way would I really want to spend my time? And obviously with my loved ones and then just making music for the sake of making music. And I think when you, you know, make turn making music into your career, there can be times where your judgment gets clouded and you really are chasing success and you like desperately want that. And you kind of lose your like love and zest for the craft. And it starts becoming more of a job. And, um, I think that all four of me and my girls in my band, like we just started going into the studio because we didn't have anything else to do. Yeah. We just were like, well, what do we want to do? Let's just make music together. And we didn't necessarily even have any plans of it coming out or when it would come out or anything. Um, and then we ended up making like, I think the best music we've ever made yeah. because the approach was just so childlike and it was so playful. Um, and it was so fun. And it was the most fun I've had making a record in a really long time was just this like this childlike like excitement for like the possibility of any, it could be anything yeah. because there was no pressure. Um, so yeah, I think I went through the proper phases of like 
grieving, like a grieving cycle from denial to grief to all of these things. And, um, ultimately ended up with a a body of work that I'm so, so proud of that we're, you know, releasing soon. So wonderful. I'm going to start your playlist, Crystal, and I'm going to ask you for track one, please, to tell me the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro, please. Okay, the song that I regard as having the greatest ever intro is Just Like Heaven by The Cure. Oh, no one's chose that yet. I've done 400 of these, and no one's chose that yet. Why not? Really? I I don't know. Everyone's tripping because I think that that song, honestly, that's probably one of my favorite songs just of all time in general. But I think there's something like so magic about that intro. It's so subtle. Like it's not in your face. It's not like symbol crashes and all of these things. And that's what I love. The beauty of the cure to me is like how simple and just cool they are. And I watched this documentary on them during the pandemic that was just like blew my mind. And all of the quotes from Robert Smith just left and right of like sticking to the artistry you know, looking for the people that would get their music, not changing their music to try to get more people. It was just, you know, just like classic punk shit. It was so good. And I love their music so much. And so just like heaven to me is like every time that, like every time that comes on, it's just immediately everyone like, ah, yes. Like I I love this song and it's just subtle and, and good. And and that guitar line just comes in right at the right time. It just builds. I love the, I love the guitar line. I get what you're saying. It's so good. And then you get the acoustic over the top. But for me, the payoff, I just, it went that fucking synth. That's the money shot right there. It's like, yes. (laughs) You you can almost imagine them being like, in you. And you, <laughs> yeah. and you, you know what I mean? It's like, it's the most perfect, like, band intro, because everyone yeah. gets their moment, and then it all hits. It's amazing. I love it. Oh, wonderful. Have you got to see The Cure live yet? No, I've oh, not. Oh, Crystal, you're missing out. It's, it's, I'll tell you what, I saw, I've seen them a fair few times. I'm like, I'm well old, so I saw them, like, way back as well. But um, I saw them about four years ago, and they, they played Hyde Park in, in London, and they just sometimes I've seen them and they've just played like like sort of blood flowers and just played like this big wig out, which can get a bit too heavy after a while. And you just think, oh, give us at least give us a hit and like and they're, yeah. just, they're just having their moment then and that's cool. But this time, the last time I see them, they just come out started with just like heaven and then it was just literally in between days boys don't cry and it just was hit 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 and you just think how many huge singles have this band got and it was just it's you know as as weighty as the cure gets as you know as heart-wrenching as pictures of you is or love song or fascination street they're they're essentially a pop band though they've got such good melodies and choruses and verses and the hooks it's like Oh, love them. Uh, they're so diverse also, which is, I really relate like the aces to them. They're a massive inspiration because if you like listen to their first record into like their fourth, when they started writing those songs, like boys don't cry and all that stuff, yeah. they're just like the scale of different like sound, mm. you know, in the beginning to me, they were more like rockabilly and darker and kind of mysterious. And then they turn into almost like, like you said, like, it's like, they're like pop songs, but they're so cool and they have their own twists and they kind of just take the piss out of themselves a lot. And 
And so I just think they're amazing. I think that they're so all over the chart with their sound, but yet somehow still are the cure. And I think that that's like a, that's what every band I think at least we dream of being is like very able to explore sound, able to explore Sonic, but at the end of the day, it's still the aces. And I think the cure is amazing. At that. There's a really weird like thing that just, for me, like the eighties were, I mean, there's, there's so many bands I love from the 80s, but for me, it, it was it was secure in the Smiths and REM. Uh, but if you look essentially at, at the Cure or the Smiths, they don't sound like anyone else. So many bands you can hear their influences and go, "Oh yeah, you was definitely listening to that when you recorded that." Mm-hmm. The Cure don't sound like anything. People yeah. sound like the Cure, but yeah. like, <laughs> but the Cure don't sound like anything. It's mental. Yeah, uh, um, they're incredible. So I'm, I want to ask you, Krista, when you when you're writing as a band, and you know, to cast your mind back to when maybe the sort of the, the Cure were recording Boys Don't Cry and things like that, the way that people listened to music was way way different, uh, and the way that you got your music out there back then was way way different. So I want to ask you because there's so many trends in 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 songwriting and in marketing of music now. When you are writing. Does it ever filter into your creative process that, okay, so TikTok can get us a lot of reach now. If we get on this Spotify playlist, you know, we could, it could really help us here. Should we start with the chorus? Like, do, do any of them things which we're seeing a lot of, does any of that ever enter into your creative process and i'm certainly not angling this i know we've been speaking about the the, the the cure and and how they've always done what they think i don't think there's anything wrong with this by the way i i, I yeah, think it's no. it's just how music's moving and, and things have to evolve and change and i just wonder how much of it filters through to your creative process yeah it's a very good question because you know we live in a time where the internet is pretty much the way people break as bands and artists and musicians. And, you know, we live in a time where artists are expected to wear a lot of hats. You know, you're expected to be really good at social media, a really amazing musician, really good at like marketing, like you're expected to be all these things. And so that can be either liberating because you're like, Oh, like I can just pick my phone up and record myself. And that's amazing. And that's awesome that like, I have my you know, I don't have to rely on anyone yeah. to be like my outlet necessarily, but then it can also be really, really frustrating and, um, daunting because you're like, well, how am I supposed to do all of these things? Like I, at the, at the end of the day, like I got into this industry because I am an artist and I'm a musician and like, that's my passion. My passion isn't necessarily like social media marketing. Right. Um, so there's been for us, I would say like a flux of, you know, that kind of mindset either creeping its way into when we're writing. And ultimately we've just decided as a band, like we always will only make decisions about music that feels good to us. So to answer your question, no, we don't make decisions based off of like, you know, social media performance and that kind of thing, because it just doesn't feel good to us and no shade to, you know, I think every artist is different for us personally, at the end of the day, we just have to do the thing that like we get the goosebumps when we listen to, like, that's just what is kind of like our guiding, um, factor. And, um, yeah. So I would say 
but I would say that there are times when you can't help but think of that stuff. When you're yeah. in the studio and you have different pressures, especially when you're signed to a label or whatever that is, right? Where there's pressures of like, this would perform really well, or you guys should try this. And ultimately, like we've gotten to a place where we used to think about it. Like I would say probably second record and stuff, like we were in a bit more of a headspace where we were, I would say like a little bit, you know, a few years into our career, there was definitely more of like a heightened awareness of like a, should we do this because it would perform really well? And then very quickly we found out as a band, like, no, we're not going to do that. Yeah. So now yeah. we're at a place where we, we really just don't give a fuck. Yeah. It's all about the fans. Um, we're only going to do stuff that feels really good to us. Um, so you have to fight really hard though. This industry is hard. It's a mind fuck. People will always be telling you like what you should do. And what your songs should be put out and what do you know, there's like all this conversation of that. But at the end of the day, what I will say is our initial instinct has never been wrong. Yeah. Like pretty much never. Like fans have always loved the songs that we feel really strongly about always. And I'm not saying that we know everything. I just think as an artist, like you have an intuition, especially if you're close with your fan base, like, you know what they want and you know what they're looking for. And so if you feel it in your gut, it's like, I, I just know, like, I know that they're going to love that song. Like on our last record under my influence, there's a song called I can break your heart too. And I, it wasn't worked as a single, but I just knew I was like, that song is special and it's going to just, ha- it's going to make its way. I don't know what's going to happen. And just in the past few weeks, it's in our top five now on Spotify. Like it's just creeping, yeah. creeping up through everything else. And I, and I saw that and I was just not surprised though. You know, like you get the email and you're like, I can break your heart too. It's like in your top five in Spotify now. And I'm like, duh. Like I knew that, like I had that gut instinct. So um, I think that that's all you can do. And the artists that I look up to the most, and I know the girls look up to the most are artists like The Cure, yeah. you know, artists that just stick to their craft and um, keep going no matter what and keep putting out the music. And then eventually suddenly The Cure has, you know, how, you can't even name how many hits they have, yeah, yeah. but they, those weren't seen as hits in the beginning, you know, and, and they were told, and that's what I loved about watching that documentary is Robert Smith says a lot, like people just kept saying, write a hit, like write a hit. And we were four albums deep and they just kept like pestering us and saying, write a hit, like, you know, time's ticking. And ultimately now the Cures look one of the most iconic bands of, from that scene ever. Yeah, yeah you know? absolutely. So, absolutely. For track two, I'm going to take you back because I'm going to ask you, please, to tell me the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, please. Um, the first song I remember hearing that had an emotional impact on me uh, was Landslide. Um, by Is it by Stevie Nicks or Fleetwood? Fleetwood. It's by, it's by Fleetwood. Sorry. Um, oh, obviously, Stevie Nicks is in Fleetwood. But yeah. uh, that's really like her moment. I feel like that's like her song. And um, I remember driving home from school when I was like 10 years old and my mom. So my mom really doesn't like sad music. So like in our house growing up and stuff, my mom, if I was ever listening to sad stuff, she was always like, Oh, like turn it off. She's like the type of person who like wants to dance and she like loves disco music. Yeah. And um, so I remember like sitting in the car and like swiping through channels and my mom was like, Oh, I don't like this song. It makes me sad. 
And I was like, no, it's, I like, I was, I think it, like probably like 13 or something. And I remember like the melodies were so beautiful to me that like, I pushed back on my mom. I was like, no, I don't want to listen to it. Yeah. And I just remember like driving home from school and listening to landslide and feeling like a, like a visceral sadness for the first, like, I remember that memory really well yeah. because those melodies are so um, like heartbreaking yeah. and what she's saying is so heartbreaking. And I don't know that emotion. I think that's a song that's like one of, the most like visceral like you can just feel it like when you hear that song you know yeah it's a beautiful beautiful record um whereabouts was growing up crystal i grew up in a small suburb in utah called orem orem utah for memories burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping and that extends to their outdoor collection Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Be place to grow up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's a really interesting place because it's very religious. Um, everyone I knew growing up was religious, uh, just like me. And so it's like very kind of bubble-esque. It's called the Valley, like Happy Valley, because it's like this little bubble of like religious town. Um, but it was like really safe. And uh, I think that like my youthfulness was very preserved in that town. Like I just had a lot of fun and my passion all growing up was just music and I just kind of stuck to that and it was good uh but then there was a juxtaposition of that being queer in that town was not an easy it wasn't easy to discover who I was in that town there's a lot of fear um and a lot of judgment as well so it's like this double-edged sword that town because it seems so happy and safe but there's also like the social cultural pressure and the religion can get really dark so it was kind of this duality all growing up of, of that. Did you hide it for, for, for a time then? Yeah, absolutely. I didn't, I came out when I was 18, like when I graduated high school. Um, but I knew that I was queer when I was like 14, Yeah, you know? And so to me, that whole process of like figuring out who I was, was really, really difficult because yeah. of where I grew up. Um, and very traumatizing because I, I, was in a lot of denial about it. I knew it was socially not going to be accepted. Um, 
And it took me like four years of kind of going through a lot of anxiety and depression and all of these things to get to the place where I was like, okay, I think I have to explore this side of myself and like see where it ultimately leads. Had you seen anybody else, you know, in, in, in those sort of like earlier sort of teen years of like that had come out and, and had you seen that it had been tough for them? You know, had you been exposed to anything like that or, or was you literally right? I'm on my own here. Yeah, not really. I mean, online for sure. I started like yeah, yeah. finding different kind of like musicians, influencers, people uh, on YouTube that were queer and out, but I mean, all, none of them were where I was from, but that was kind of my only representation at that point. And then uh, there was a girl in my school, I think who came out as bisexual yeah. and the reaction was so negative that I was like, I'm not doing that. Yeah. No way. I was like, I got to get out of here and figure out what, what I want to do. Cause it wasn't a safe, like high school, like where I grew up was like not a safe place to be queer at all. I didn't, no one was out. And the kids that kind of maybe tried like that one girl who was like, okay, I think I'm bi and kind of came out immediately kind of like, was like, just kidding. Like I'm not because it was so aggressive with like, not even necessarily like physical bullying. It was way more like psychological. And that was like, that's kind of like the perfect way to describe where I'm from is like, it's not really physical. It's super psychological and it's super cultural um, of like this shunning that happens um, when you aren't fitting the status quo of that religion. But that, that, that passive aggressiveness is as aggressive as a physical attack anyway. Oh, totally. I mean, I think frankly it, it can be worse, you yeah. know, um, that kind of level of, unacceptance like feeling unaccepted in a cultural in like a culture um is traumatizing you know beyond traumatizing so um so yeah it was interesting because I have a lot of good memories and my parents are amazing my family's amazing so I'm so lucky for that like I always felt very loved and at home within my family dynamic but the culture around me and the in the in the social circles and stuff was a different story at times for sure Okay, we've touched on school, so it seems fitting that we, we, we we'll go on to track three then, which is the song that reminds you of your time at school, please, Crystal. Yeah, oh my gosh, I have so I I couldn't decide. I had to just pick one that really sticks out to me, which is Tegan and Sarah, um, a song called "The Ocean." Yeah, uh, which is I could have picked. I mean, any track by them would yeah. have represented that to me. I love the ocean specifically. It's just an amazing song. Um, and I love the chord progressions in it and kind of like the, and everything about it, the lyrics. And, um, when I was like 16 years old, I, I started working with, um, Tyler Gwen, who's in a band called the neon trees. Um, and he was older than me and he, he's not from Utah, but he, his, the band neon trees kind of originated in Utah and he lives there currently. He's from California, but like kind of goes back and forth between Utah, California. So he was a, like, and is, he's like, it was a massive deal to me when I was 16. Like he was, he had like a massive song on the radio called animal. He was like the first kind of person from my hometown that like I saw who had like actually really had an amazing career in the music industry and had broken away from Utah and was like globally recognized, you know? That's so so important though, isn't it? To have someone like, if you want to do that, to have someone that is from where you're at already doing that, it makes it seem possible, right? Totally, totally. He was like such an icon and still is, you know? And, um, 
I started working with him just like he, he was in town. He's like, you want to write some songs? I think you're you know, really talented. We'd seen each other at like a local event. He had seen me sing and seen my band. And so we started working together and writing songs and he also is gay. And so he wasn't out at the time either yet. Like it, he came out when he was like 30 and I was like 16. And so he was, I think probably in his late twenties, I was like 16, 17. He was kind of mentoring me. We were writing together. And, um, he, I think he had like, I still, I recently reconnected with him and talked about all of this and he's amazing. And he, um, he kind of was like, Hey, I think you would really like Tegan and Sarah. And I kind of had heard of them, but I didn't really know who they were. And I was like, in hindsight, I'm like, he knew I was gay and like needed to plant me a little bit <laughs> in it. He needed to help me, which is so funny. I know he had like a sixth sense that I was queer. He's like, I think you would really like Tegan and Sarah. They just put out this new record. And I was like, okay, I'll listen. And I started listening and I just like went down a complete rabbit hole. Like I just fell in love with them. They were some of the first out queer musicians that like I looked up to so much, like finding them and their band completely changed. Like honestly, like the trajectory of my life Yeah, because it gave me the confidence to be out. And it gave me this world where I was like, Whoa, you can be out and proud and talk about your queerness and be open and also be a successful musician. Like I didn't think that that existed at, at that point. Um, it just like opened my mind. I was like, Oh my God. Like it felt like I was like seeing into the future. And I was like seeing what my life could be through them. And, um, and so I, they'll always be one of my favorite artists of all time because they just like changed my life and the ocean. I love every single record of theirs. I know back to back. Um, but the ocean reminds me of like being 16 and first kind of, coming into my, this idea in my head that I'm like, okay, I think I'm queer. What does that mean for me? And that kind of like silent self-discovery. And I was listening to their music all the time. And, um, this like very tumultuous, but like really beautiful time where I was kind of figuring out who I was and who I wanted to be in the future. So always soundtracked to Tegan and Sarah. That's so cool that he just gave you that record and was basically saying, everything's going to be all right. Listen to this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, he just had some sort of sixth sense, I think, about him yeah. that he was just like, he could see, you know, me being 16 and him having like, you know, some years on me and being like, I think you're going to like that. Take, <laughs> yeah. take that. And I did, and, I, and it, it changed my life. So I'm like forever really grateful to him and also um, to you and Sarah because I just, I love their music so much. Wonderful. Track four, tell me the first song you bought from a record store, please, Crystal. First song I bought from a record store. So when I was in high school, I started working at this um, this thrift shop, and they, uh, my boss had this like massive. Uh, if you've ever seen, they're from the seventies. They're like these big kind of like cabinets, like these wooden cabinets, and you pop open the top, and there's like a record player in there. Yeah. Um, so my boss got one of these in the store, and so we would just play records all day in the in the store, and. Uh, I always loved that thing, but I was like, oh, like I lived at home with my parents and didn't have anywhere really to put it. Um, and a few years later, like when I was like probably 21, I remembered this and I was like, oh my God, like, I wonder if he still has that record player because it never sold the entire time. I, was yeah. there. So I texted him and I was like, Hey, 
long time, no chat. Do you still have that record player from when I was like a kid, like 17, when I was working in a surf shop? And he was like, oh my God, actually, I do still have that. Shut up, really? And he's like, I'll give it to you for a hundred bucks. And I was like, done. So I go, I meet him at this storage unit. I get his <laughs> record player. And then I started buying records at that point. So I didn't really start buying records until I was like probably 19 or yeah. 20. Um, Cause I didn't have a record player. Like my parents, I remember had like this really small record player that we would kind of, we play like the Bee Gees on and the yeah. Commodores. And like my parents really loved like uh, like Earth, Wind and Fire and yeah. like disco kind of feel good music like that. But that wasn't like mine. And I kind of would just like, they had like these dusty records in the garage that I'd go through. And there's like Barbra Streisand and like all these, yeah. all these records. Um, and then, uh, so I got my own and, and I was like, okay, well, I need some records, of course. So one of the first ones I bought, cause I was just like, I know it's going to sound good. It's just going to be a classic was Amy Winehouse. Yeah. Um, and my favorite song off of that record, which is back to black, I think, is, uh, is just friends. Yeah. I love that song. It's like, the whole feel of it, like that reggae feel, like I'll, it's my favorite song of hers to this day. And I, I don't think I even knew that song until I got that record. Yeah. And I would just play that record top to bottom in, in my room in this big record player. And, uh, just friends was like my, just my favorite song that to play on, on vinyl. Yeah. Uh, do, do you know what it's, I think it's, it, it's quite hard to, I think in this day and age because of, the fact that so much of it is all online and things like that, that to, to have a classic album, you know, because it, when people think classic albums, they go back to Fleetwood Mac, Beach Boys, Bee Gees, all of the aforementioned bands that you mentioned as well, The Cure, and things like that. And Amy Winehouse, like Back to Black, is a classic album. And I don't think that's even because she's passed. I think it had that status before, like, uh, yeah. she passed. There's something about that record that, that certainly isn't on that first record, I don't think. Like, I think in that second album, she just hit on something. I don't know if it was working with Mark Ronson. I don't know. But whatever come out of that studio was magical. Yeah, she's just, like, she's just amazing. Like, her, her lyrics and the way she sings. And, like, and the thing that I love about Amy Winehouse so much is, again, like, like The Cure, it's, like, it's so simple. Like, she just can fucking sing. Yeah. And her lyrics are like prolific. They're amazing. And the band's just kind of doing their thing behind her loosely. It's just like the most pure expression of like what we do, you know, as artists is just sing and write and like, let it speak for itself. And I think Amy Winehouse is like such a perfect example of like the music just speaks for itself. It's just so good. It's so timeless. Like I was just driving with my girlfriend, like, home from the beach last week and I put that record on again. And to me, I, I can just let that play from top to bottom and I don't think about it. I just like enjoy the experience and I enjoy the atmosphere that's created through that music so much. And yeah, she was just such a fucking legend, like yeah. truthfully amazing. Absolutely. Let's go clubbing track five, <laughs> the song that soundtrack your years clubbing. I mean, you're still young, Chris, so you can still go clubbing. It's all right. (laughs) Uh, This was the one that was the hardest for me, I think. Every musician says this. Every musician says this, like, that this is the tough one because, and they normally follow it with, like, I didn't really go clubbing. Yeah, honestly. Okay, so this is true for me. I'm not, like, a massive. I kind of had more of a clubbing period when I was, like, probably, like, ages 23 to 
to, or 22 to 25. I'm 26 now and I'll be 27 at the end of the year. That was kind of like my clubbing era, like maybe even a little earlier. Well, I can can add something to the question. This question, I think, always misleads people to think it's in some kind of like chrome-laden house techno kind of venue playing, you know, commercial (laughs) dance music. This can be your local dive bar, your local live venue like wherever you had those formative years with your you know found your crew found your tribe and you've got them songs that soundtrack them nights yes oh my god okay so i picked doja cat Mm. juicy by doja cat which is one of her earlier songs um i discovered doja cat through a girl i was dating at the time this was like back when i was like 23 so it's like three or four years ago and that was my time where like i was just out of like some back-to-back relationships. I was single. I felt like a bat out of hell. I was ready to get drunk every single weekend, maybe even more than every single weekend. Um, And I started dating this girl and I was kind of in this group of friends that were like very much the type that would go out like every other night. Um, And so that song just reminds, I remember she showed me Doja Cat. And this was honestly probably like six months before Doja Cat just fucking exploded yeah. this was like 2019 so doja cat what she exploded like in t- the pandemic like in 2020 i would say um so she was super new and i'd never heard of her before this girl i was dating was like oh you should she turned on juicy and i was like what is this this is so good she's like oh it's doja cat you'll love her we started and i started listening to everything that she had out and that she was truthfully like doja her early kind of songs like juicy and um there's a bunch of them i'll, I'll have to list up but um, those songs were just like the soundtrack to like us going out and drinking and partying and me kind of in this like really crazy phase of my life that I have think thankfully exited. Um, I'm more of like a wine person now and chill, uh, occasional liquor, not really doing what I used to do, but, um, yeah. So it's really nostalgic to me. Like I'll turn that song on and like, remember that time of just like anything could happen. Like yeah. we were just going out, don't know who we'd run into. You could run into your ex and it was just like a, a crazy time. And, are you somebody that can lose yourself in their moments you know are you happy you know are you a dancer do you like you know are you happy to just jump on the dance floor and just get lost in the moment i think so if, if the music is right i think so yeah. yeah i'm not someone who can dance i will be can i can't dance to anything like i couldn't just go to a club and like not care what was on and just like move i like it's got to be like my song like it's got to be like Ghost. the type of music that i'm like oh i love this song <laughs> yeah. then i can then I can get into it. Good, good. I'm going to take you home, Crystal, um, for track six. Uh, favorite song from an artist from your home county, please. Yeah, there's a lot of really amazing artists that have come out of Utah. Neon uh, Trees kind of being one. Imagine Dragons actually kind of, they're technically from Vegas, but um, a lot of their like early years, they were playing in the same venue that I grew up playing in. Uh, there's people, I mean, but the more local artists that... Um, that I love that I'm really good friends with is this is one of them that I listed uh, Coral Bones, which is a dear friend of mine. His name's uh, Chris Benyon. And he, me and him grew up together making music. And he was one of the people in my hometown that um, I was like mesmerized by, by his talent. And there's a song called Queens way by him that he put out when we were like younger. And I just think it's amazing. And I love his voice and I think it's so unique. And he produced all of it himself. And, um, so he was doing that from like a really young age and his melodies and everything. I remember just like going to his shows and then becoming friends with him. And 
just being like, wow, he's so talented. Like I know he'll make a career in music and he actually lives in LA now and, and produces full time and um, we're still friends. And so, yeah, a little plug for, for Coral Bones. I, I love him and um, love his project. And I could honestly side off a bunch of others. There's a project by a dear friend of mine um, named Cat, and their project's called Madge. And I fucking love them. They're amazing and incredibly talented as well. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of, it reminds me of being like 18 in those, in those venues growing up together and gigging together. And it was so much fun. How was that scene? Was that, was that sort of camaraderie there or was it competitive or, I mean, I mean, um, you know, going back to, to, to when I was in bands in, in like the local scene that, that I was part of, we all kind of wanted each other to do well, but if somebody got like a really good review and you didn't, you'd kind of couldn't help but be a little bit jealous. And like, uh, and, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, you've always got that little thing. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just me being a cynical, old, you know, a cynical bastard. But I remember thinking, we're better than them. And like, and, and, yeah. I, and I think, but that just, I think that's just because you, you want it so bad. And like, yeah. how was the scene for you? Was it, a, a, you know, a lot of sort of, you know, camaraderie or, or was it competitive? Uh, it was interesting. I think there was like, uh, I think both existed at the same time in a way, like you were saying, I think, you know, when we first came into our hometown music scene, we were really young. We were like 13. Um, most of the bands playing were like in college. Um, so, and we also were the only all girl band, obviously in miles. So like there was this sense of like, I think, and, and the scene when we first entered was very indie folk based our scene in, in Provo. Um, Utah, very indie folk based. And that was kind of the way you did things. Like everyone loved this, like really indie folky kind of Americana music. And we came in like indie pop rock and just like a blazon. And I think there was at first, like, it was very like a either like, whoa, this is so cool or no interest was kind of the vibe. Um, and it took us a long time to sell those venues out because I think the scene was so kind of set in its ways. And we were also so young developing our sound that we kind of were just this like sore thumb within that scene. Like it was just kind of like, or sorry, what is that right? Stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah. Um, we kind of just stuck out in this, in this funny way. And then there was a fascination like, Oh, actually that's so actually pretty cool and interesting. And then it grew, but it took us like probably five years, four to five years of like, non-stop gigging opening for that biggest acts in the scene uh to kind of have a real presence in the scene and then once i think we were in the scene probably about 17 18 i think there was like this really beautiful kind of year or two of like it felt like there was this real camaraderie and it felt like we kind of earned the respect in the scene people knew who we were um, we were seen as kind of a band that had lasted the test of time and was around still because there's also bands and scenes, you know, that pop up for like a year and then they're gone and no one really knows what happened yeah. to them. And um, we kind of stood the test of time and, and proven ourselves as like a serious band. And then, you know, started meeting people like Chris, like I just mentioned and my friend Kat and, um, you know, kind of just became this community of like, we would gig all the time. There's another band called, uh, Mr. Smith that we played with all the time that we're really close friends with. And now I remember that time of being like so much fun. Like we would just play all be on the lineup together, you know, and, and be like, Oh my God, it's going to be so fun. We're playing back to back with Chris and Mr. Smith and Madge. Like we put it all, like we had the power at that point, you know, to like 
all be on a lineup together. Yeah. And those times I remember being like very nostalgic and super fun. And, but yeah, there was always a healthy level of competition. I know for sure there was times where we would like see bands that are bigger than us and be like, what the hell? Like everyone just <laughs> indie folk music. Like this is, this is bullshit. Like we're, we're good, you know? Um, so yeah, definitely. I think both existed at the same time, yeah. but it was fun. So much fun. Would you say you was a confident person? I mean, I think so. Yeah. I think given, given that I was in a band, uh, in the place that we were in with all girls and, and, uh, I mean, fuck, I was like, I was obsessed with Jesse J when I was like 16. So I cut myself a fringe and I was dyeing my hair and like all these things. Like I look back and she's from my hometown. (laughs) I'm like, I, Oh, she's from your hometown. I actually just saw her at um, the Price Festival we did and, and it was amazing. Um, but yeah, I just remember like, I think I was pretty confident, you know? I don't know if in the moment I knew, like I think I knew I was confident, but like I look back and I'm like, damn, like I really just kind of did the thing. Like I just didn't really fucking care and I don't know where that comes from, but I think we, for some reason, we had the confidence. And I guess I won't say for some reason, I think we have really awesome families and I will contribute that like, praise my parents and, and, you know, the girl's parents all day long because they really let us be who we wanted to be. You know, I think there was concerns sometimes from like a social aspect of like, are you you sure you want to do that? Like, what does that mean? But there was always at the end of the day, like a green light of like, you can be whoever you want to be and we'll love you regardless. So we're so lucky for that. Um, and I think a lot of my confidence comes from like, just what great parents I had, honestly. You mentioned that some bands, you know, are about for a year and then disappear without a trace and people, you know, and, and, and you felt like you, you'd kind of put the work in and earn your stripes. And and then it gets to another level. Then it gets to, you know, you, you, you get the elusive record deal. And then it just, it's just as hard then. Do you know what I mean? It's just work hard. And like, and, and I'm sure if you speak to some of the biggest bands in the world, it's probably still just as hard to, to, to maintain it and to keep growing as artists. So, Tell me about your relationship with Drive. Oh my gosh, it's such a uh, roller coaster ride, that one, because I actually am in a time in my life right now where I'm really like reevaluating my relationship to my drive and, and um, what makes me happy. And I feel like I'm hitting this point, you know, I'm, I'm 26, and I think that that's like a really an age where you start to reflect, you know, I'm like, okay, like I'm, I'm headed to the end of my 20s. and I've lived all this life before. And when, you know, um, I think when, when I was younger, I had so much drive, you know, like to get out of my hometown. Like I just wanted to get out of there. Like I wanted so badly to see the world and, and get away. And, and I and didn't feel like I fit there. And I think that that's a big reason why I was in my band is because I was creating with the girls a space where like, I could just be the most, you know, authentic outspoken version of myself that I felt so trapped in this yeah. hometown that I was from. Um, and then, like you said, you know, and then we got out and we signed a record deal and, and I live in Los Angeles now and I travel and I tour full time and my, my music's my job. And I think the funny thing about like when you're putting your happiness in like your drive and achieving things is that you start to realize that you're just never happy and you're like, wait a sec, I've done it now. 
and I didn't even realize I did it. And I still want more, yeah. you know, and, and, and I, and I've seen this kind of like sickness play different musicians and different friends of mine of like, they accomplished these amazing things. And it's like, well, I didn't get two and I wanted two. Yeah. And that's that so Grammy. strange. That's fine. But why didn't I get two? I should have gotten two. And it's like, you won a Grammy. Like, what are you talking about? You literally, yeah. you know? And so I think that that's what I'm working on now. It's like being really proud of myself for how far I've come in the fan base that we've built as a band and living in that while still having a healthy dose of like, I want more and I think it's okay to want more, but when you chronically just want more, your whole life just like flies by and you're like, what even, where was the joy in any yeah. of that? You know? That's and the so, word. That's the word right there, Crystal, joy. Yeah, Love. 100%. It's like, I'm just trying to cultivate more joy in my life, you know, yeah. and not be so hard on myself all the time and kind of just enjoy what, what is. Cause I think, you know, the first record that we put out when we first signed our record deal. I think I, I think I found a lot of joy in that time for sure. But I think I look back on that time. It was so magical. And I think there was a lot of also just like anguish of like, I, I want this to be bigger. Yeah. I want these rooms to be bigger. I want this record to be bigger. I want to be fucking huge, you know? And even though I'm still kind of like on that journey of like, making my band bigger and bigger. And, and, and that excites me. I look back at that, like really magical time where like I went to Europe and the UK for the first time and I was touring and I put out a record and I signed a record deal for the first time. Like that was so magic. And I think it's easy to just be like wanting more all the time. And then you, in hindsight, you're like, damn, like that, those years were so special. And I, I want that to happen less in my life now. Yeah. Like I want to just enjoy and be in the present and be like, yeah, I love that. That was so fun. I had so much fun at that time. And I don't want to look back and be like, I wish I would have enjoyed that more because that was really special. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Okay. Last track. This is when you get to be tastemaker or influencer, I believe uh, the youngsters call it. <laughs> uh, tell me a song, please, Crystal, that you think many people may not know that you would like them to hear, please. Yes. Um, this band is one of the most amazing bands I've heard in the last five years. Um, they, I think are, were British. Um, tragically they passed away when they were touring. Um, I think a couple years ago and I remember hearing about it and it was like completely devastating. And I saw a bunch of different people in the industry, musicians, artists, managers posting about it. Um, and I didn't really know who they were at the time. And I just remember thinking like, Oh my God, that's, that could be anyone you know, we all tour, we're all in vans and all going anywhere. And it's just, so it was just like absolutely heartbreaking. Um, and then my current girlfriend, uh, she plays music in the car all the time and she has really amazing music tastes. And I'm always kind of like picking at what she's listening to because I think she's just like, you know, has such taste and is amazing. And, um, these songs kept coming on that I liked on her rotation. And I was like, who is this? She's like, you ask me about this every time. It's this band, Hurts. And I was like, wait, isn't that the band that passed? And she's like, yeah, it's so sad. I was, I'm such a big fan of them. Their music is so amazing. I wish I could have seen them live. And I was like, oh my God, I, I, I was just obsessed with their music. Like, and so I dove in and now I listen to them all the time. And I just, there's something like, there's this live performance of them 
and they're like on a boat. They're like sitting out on a boat and it's just there. It's two guys and they're just on these acoustic guitars and the music, the musicianship, the way that their guitar lines play off of each other and his voice is so beautiful and kind of like ethereal, kind of just floats on everything. I love them. They're honestly one of my favorite bands and they've inspired me so, so much. And so this song, um, Dorothy is not one of their biggest, but to me, it's just like one of my favorite songs they've ever made. It's just sad and it kind of just chugs along and it reminds me kind of of like the cure in a way, but it has its own kind of, it's just so good. And um, I listen to their music all the time and, and Dorothy's just like one of my favorites. Wonderful. Well, for those that haven't heard that, we we put together a Spotify playlist to accompany the podcast, Crystal, so people can go and listen to that, uh, as well as tracks by your band uh, and all of the songs that we've spoke about today. Um, As 2022 is uh, is entering into the second half now and, and seems to be racing along now, we're out of lockdown, gigs are happening, tours are happening. What's going to be happening for you? What's going to be happening for me is uh, more music. So we're really excited. We just put out a song called All Girls Make Me Want to Die. Um, there's a music video for it as well. And then we have a bunch of music that we're just really excited about that we're in the middle of making videos for and planning dates. And um, I'm just ready to put new music out. That's just like my main focus. And I know the girls' main focus is just giving, you know, more aces, more music. And then hopefully as soon as possible, tours and the whole thing, you know, we'll we'll be doing this for forever pretty much so wonderful wonderful crystal it's been a real joy talking records with you mate thank you so much yes thanks for having me this has been really really fun for me too so i appreciate it the pleasure is all mine mate thank you so much oh wow what a chat how cool was crystal um I hope you got a, a, a lot of enjoyment from that episode i had a wonderful time uh chatting to her um i'm i can talk for hours about the cure i do so I, i'm sorry like I, I literally felt like as soon as she finished mentioning them i was like i, I, I want to talk about the cure more but um that's just because they're bloody good and it's really lovely when people pick a track for the intro and, and, and just like heaven is such a wonderful record uh if for some reason you've never heard it then go check out the spotify playlist to accompany this podcast if you just search um off the beat and track podcast on on spotify you'll find it and you'll uh you'll find the podcast but you'll also find um all the playlists as well uh so go and have a look and you can see it because they make no sense when you see them as well because of the, the the nature of the questions you'll have these super cool like records and then it gets to the one where it's like what was the first record you bought and then sometimes it can be most of the time it can be really embarrassing it wasn't uh in, in crystal's case it was a cool record um but yeah so uh so go explore all of that uh and yeah like i said all the patreon stuff and all of the social medias you can find about uh, about all of that on the website which is off the beat and track podcast.com i'm back next time in the meantime um have a lovely week be nice to each other uh and i love you lots i'll see you soon bye-bye It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. You've made stew with him. Eat a monkey.